This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to another show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or questions about things going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, all of our ladies are getting ready for the retreat. The kids tested for uh, their Iowa testing, so they got home early today, so it's really, really quiet around here. Uh, Tonight I'm going to be teaching out of Genesis chapter 2, creation details. It's interesting, at least it is to me. Uh, And then um, with the ladies gone, who knows what's going to happen after that. I'll probably just try to sleep. A couple of things I want to share with you. You know, uh, I've been doing this program for a little over seven years now, and and, um, I always keep thinking, who would do this? You know, just answering the questions. And I might have met a young man who will eventually replace me. Now, this is a good story, so let me share it. Uh, A five-year-old in our kindergarten, um, his mother called Paula or texted Paula, and said that, that her son, this little boy whose name is Nathan, five years old, that's important to the story. And uh, he's been really studying his Bible, and he wanted to be quizzed, but when his mom and dad started to quiz him, he said, no, I want Pastor Ron to quiz me. So we set up a time today. He got out of school at 11.30, mom came and got him, and they came back to my office. And little Nathan, who's been really studying the Bible, I don't mean reading it, I mean he's really been studying it. And he wanted me to quiz him. And so I started, like I I often do in conversations like this, and I said to him, I said, so what's your favorite book? Your favorite story? And he said, Esther. Now that's surprising, because I've never heard anybody say that. I like the book of Esther, but that's that's the first time anybody's ever said it. And so I started asking him some questions about Esther. I said, so why do you like the book of Esther? And his reply was, well, because she saved God's people. And then I said, well, who was the bad guy in Esther? And he said, Haman. Now, this is a five-year-old. So I said, what other stories do you like? How about the story of Elijah and the widow? And he said, well, the story I know about Elijah is about Mount Carmel. And I said, okay, what happened on Mount Carmel? And here's what he said. He said, well, he had a duel with 400 prophets And he beat them. And I said, so what was your favorite part about that? And he said, when the the thunder came down, the lightning came down and consumed all the sacrifices. So then I said, so who was David's best friend? And he said, Jonathan. I said, who was the man who came to David and said, David, you're the man. And he said, Nathan, the prophet. And I felt like I was looking 
into the eyes of little Nathan the prophet, in a little with a little p. And so we just went on and on, and I asked him question after question after question, and he knew all of the answers. Five years old. And I had the feeling we could have gone on for a long time. And then as they were getting ready to leave, the mom said, Pastor Ron, he wanted you to pray for him to get spiritual gifts, to want to know what his spiritual gifts are. Now, this is a five-year-old. And so I prayed for him. And I felt like I was watching his spiritual gift. I said, Nathan, if you keep this up, if you keep studying, God is so proud then I think your gift is going to be teaching. And that's what I do. And he had such a big smile on his face, five years old. Now, the reason I brought that up, I mean, it was an extraordinary 20 minutes. But we tell you all the time that teaching the Bible verse by verse to kids of all ages, from Nathan's age and younger to to kids my age, There's some people that just get it. They get excited. The Spirit of God is upon them. This little Nathan is one of those kids. Believe me, he knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus has done. This is a kid that's just every bit as saved as I am at five years old. Now imagine the advantage this kid has as he goes out into this world, this crazy, insane world that we live in, This kid's going out equipped. And this isn't a mom and dad who are forcing him to study his Bible. They can't tear it from his hands. Wow. Train up a child in the way he should go. And that's exactly what mom and dad are doing with Nathan. So what a great day it was for me. And, you know, when you see something like that after doing what I do now for almost 25 years, you just think, Lord, it was worth every difficult thing I've ever gone through. I was so proud of this boy. It was just unbelievable. And the smile on Mom's face, it looked like her face was going to break. That was really, really good. So Nathan, you remember that. It might be Pastor Nathan. Now, he's too young to replace me because I'm too old. But he might be one of these kids that sticks around and replaces Pastor Ken when he's done. After me? Looks like our church is in really, really good hands. I was excited. That was really, really exciting for me. Okay, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, Linda wants me to explain Jesus-only doctrine. Um, Linda, it's wrong. It's heresy. Uh, but Jesus only uh, is that group of people who believe that Jesus is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. In other words, everything is all and only about Jesus. Now, while in part that's true, Jesus only, you'll hear some people, well, what name were you baptized in? If you were baptized in any name other than Jesus, then it doesn't count. Well, we know the Bible teaches very clearly that the Father is three in one. God is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And um, those who believe that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Spirit um, are dealing in heresy. So uh, that's what they mean, Linda. And I've seen some people who are really, really messed up by this. I mean, they really, really get it deep. And they're unwilling to yield. They're unwilling to look at Scripture. So oneness, teaching... Uh, that's what it's called sometimes, uh, is uh, outside the pales of orthodoxy. And uh, the Jesus-only groups are not only heretical, but they cause a lot of problems. Here's a question from Manny. He said, God gave me some songs. Do you think I should ask my pastor if he will let me play them? Um, Manny, a couple of things. Now, I'm I'm grateful to God for your your creative side. I'm grateful that you can play music uh, and certainly in your own time with the Lord. Uh, it's a wonderful way for those of you who have talent. Sit down with a guitar or piano and sing love songs to Jesus. But here's what I would ask you to do, Manny. Be very, very careful about saying, God gave me some songs. 
God gave you the ability to write some songs. But when we say God gave me some songs, what you're doing is you're saying these songs are inerrant, just like the Bible is. God gave them to me. It's almost like the relationship God had with his prophets. And I've seen too many people over the years who said God gave me a song, and the song uh, that God supposedly gave them wasn't consistent with the teaching of Scripture. So if God has gifted you with the ability to write songs or to perform songs, then do it for his glory. Now, relative to whether or not you should ask your pastor if he'll play them, I don't know what kind of church you go to. I don't know what your relationship with your pastor is. But what I would do first, if you have a a typical church where there is a worship ministry and somebody over that ministry, then I would go to him or to her. And I would explain to them that, that you're a musician and um, you, you think you've been writing some songs that, that the Spirit of God has, has gifted you to write and, and ask him or ask her to listen to them or give them the sheet music and give them the lyrics and find out whether or not there's an additional witness that those songs are indeed inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I wouldn't go to your pastor with something like this. I go through the chain of command, so to speak, and I know that's a bad term to use in church, but but I think you understand what I mean when I say it. Um, so w- what I would ask you to do is just go to the worship leader and say, here's what I've written. Would you tell me what you think? Ask him or her if there's an opportunity maybe for you to participate in one of the worship teams. You know, Manny, one of the things that, that has frustrated me in my years here are, are the people that want to do things on their own but don't want to work with the group or submit to the leadership of somebody who's over that group. Gosh, I've had so many people over the years, I mean dozens, literally, who have come to me and said, well, you know, I'd like to lead my own worship team. Well, how about you just go to the worship leader and follow him? No, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm kind of... Guy does my own thing. Well, you can't do your own thing in the body of Christ. So be really, really careful. You know, Manny, nobody's on the line, so I'll take a little bit more time with this. Um, Many, many years ago, my pastor, Chuck Smith, um, during the Jesus Movement days, back in the 60s and late 60s and 70s, when when there was a genuine revival sweeping the world, uh, it, it, it was headquartered sort of in Orange County, California. Um, But, um, you know, these hippies were getting saved. These drugged out, dropped out hippies. A lot of them were musicians. And they would come to Calvary Chapel. They would get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the next day come back and say, yeah, I got some songs. And to my pastor's credit, he actually listened to them. And you may know some of the names, Love Song and Acts 29 and some of the other groups that go way, way back. Uh, a fellow pastor, a friend of mine, Tom Stipe, um, uh, Billy Badstone. There's just so many uh, of the original CCM, Contemporary Christian Music, uh, artists that they, they weren't trying to make money at it. They weren't trying to, to start record labels. They were just worshiping God using the talents that God had given them to do it. And those songs got a lot of traction and changed a lot of lives. And um, it'd be great to hear down the road, Manny, that you're one of those same kind of guys. Remember, it's not performing. You're not doing it for people. You're singing love songs to Jesus. And if you do it with the right heart, I'm sure that God will bless you as a result. You know, my pastor, Chuck Smith, was was um, a very conservative. I didn't know him back in the 60s or 70s. I only got saved in 1991. But he's a very conservative, conservative uh, um, in every way. Appearance, he was conservative in behavior, conservative in his politics. And suddenly he finds himself surrounded by all these hippies. You know the courage it took? Somebody who was probably on parole got saved one day ago and now has some songs. One of the things I loved about Pastor Chuck was that he was always willing to give people a platform 
to utilize the gifts that God has given them. So I hope, Manny, that's an, an, an encouragement to you. I have tried my best over the years to give a platform to people um, so that they could use their gifts. I don't micromanage people. I, I, I just want them to stay within the confines of orthodoxy. I want them to be honoring to the Lord. I want to be sure their heart is right and, and they're humble in using the gifts that God has given them. But we want to give people an opportunity to use their spiritual gifts. Good question, Manny. Thank you. Here is, let's go, we've got an anonymous question that was just sent into the studio. Uh, did the devil rebel against God before or after Adam? Uh, anonymous, I just did that Bible study last Wednesday and um, in Genesis. Uh, and uh, I have very strong opinions. We don't have a specific verse or story that tells us, but it is my very, very informed opinion that Satan or Lucifer then rebelled against God uh, on day six after Adam was made and after Eve was made from his side. Up to that point, everything was good, but when he made Adam, everything was very good. Ephesians 2.10 says that Adam, uh, man, and that's what Adam means, man, um, um, was God's crowning achievement. For we are his workmanship. That Greek word is poema. We get our English word poem from it. And what it means is we're God's creative expression of beauty. The best thing he ever did. Now, prior to that time, Lucifer was the most beautiful of all of God's angels. And I think when he saw how overjoyed, how thrilled God was on day six when he made Adam and Eve, when he saw that, I think that's what was the opportunity for God to allow him to choose and he got jealous. He wanted to be the most beautiful, the most attractive. So uh, I, I answer, and I have no hesitation. Uh, I just can't prove it with the scripture that the devil rebelled against God after Adam was made, directly after Adam was made. And that's when he deceived a third of the angels with them, and they all fell from grace. So Anonymous, thank you for that. Uh, you can go to our website if you'd like to, and uh, I actually taught that in uh, our study a week ago tonight. Good question. Let's go to my next question. It's anonymous also. I'm a new believer. What can I do for fun now that I can't party like I used to? Well, bless your heart for knowing that you can't party like you used to. That's that's obviously the Holy Spirit that's within you. But here's what you're going to find, Anonymous. You're going to find that God has so much for you. And, and when you're with Jesus, that's going to be the source of joy. And so the things that used to be fun for you aren't going to be fun anymore. You know, when I got saved, after Paul had been praying for me for 13 years, now, I didn't party, I didn't go out and get drunk, I've never had a drink, those kind of things, I didn't do drugs. But, um, you know, I gambled. I, I loved to go to the racetrack, I loved... Uh, to play cards, and I did. I gambled a lot. And um, I got saved, and, and I didn't just change. I mean, my habits didn't change. So uh, my Tuesday night poker game or my afternoons or weekends at the racetrack, um, they just didn't stop. But here's what happened. I'd go to the racetrack, and i just realize, hey, this isn't fun. What am I doing here? And I'd leave. I'd go to the poker game. And these are friends that had been playing a poker game with for, for years and years and years. And um, uh, suddenly the language there bothered me, the, the taking God's name in vain bothered me. It's just like, well, this isn't fun. And that's going to be what it's going to be like for you. You can go to a party now. There's things you can't do. But here's what's going to happen at the party. You're going to recognize that Jesus isn't there with you. And you're going to want to be where he is. And when you're where he is, that's going to be the only source of joy that you need. You recognize that you need to change. That's the Spirit of God in you. And believe me, 
um, you'll be blessed. Good question. Let's go to San Leandro, California, and talk with my friend Tanya. Tanya, I've missed hearing from you. How are you doing? <laughs> good. How are you, Papa? I'm doing good. Can for you an hear old me guy. okay? Yep, I can hear You're you. You're not well. old. You're not old. <laughs> hey, Papa, I have, a, I have a question for you. <laughs> You're not old. Okay. You know that. Um, I was going to say, don't, don't lie on a Christian radio you. program. I'm not lying. We're like fine wine. Oh. We get better with age. That, that's what it is. I don't drink wine, as you know, but if I heard, yeah. you know, the older, the okay. better it is. So that's a, we're in that category. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, Papa. Um, there's a gal in my uh, one of my groups that I'm uh, working with, and she's very interested in um, studying Revelation, but doesn't have as much information with the Old Testament and the Minor Prophets. Um, do you recommend studying the Minor Prophets, and if so, which ones prior to tackling um, Revelation? So I'm just looking for some yeah. guidance here. Yeah, okay, I can do that, Tanya. Uh, a couple Thanks, of things. Papa. Joel, the, the, uh-huh, bye-bye. The, the prophet Joel would be one that she would want uh, to study for sure. Um, but, you know, one of the things I would suggest, Tanya, is give her our website, if you haven't already done that, and, and, and let her go through the book of Revelation with me, because I emphasize uh, that the book of Revelation um, uh, is self-explanatory. Everybody's scared of it, and they think it's going to be really, really difficult. Uh, but it's really not. Every symbol is explained elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's a very Jewish book, Revelation is, uh, after you get past uh, chapter 3. Uh, it's a very Jewish book, and and it sort of forces you, it gets you excited enough to go back into the Old Testament and dig these things out. So as she would be going, for example, uh, through the book of Revelation with me on the website, and my notes are there too if she doesn't want to take the time to listen, but um, um, she could she could start making some notes and start digging in and going back into the Old Testament prophets, uh, major and minor prophets that talk about this time called the, the time of Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress, uh, the Great Tribulation. But I think it would help her. Uh, I, I do it as as straightforwardly and simply uh, and practically as I can. Uh, but uh, I think even before she would go digging into the Old Testament prophets, that she would really need to go um, um, just sort of verse by verse through the book of Revelation so that she would have a healthy overview of what's there. And I tell people all the time, the book is exciting. Um, it's it's yet future. Um, but But all of it predicted by God. And um, it'll really give you a hunger for those Old Testament passages uh, that talk about um, the, the Great Tribulation and the, the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Um, but probably of all of the minor prophets, Joel is the one that deals with the signs uh, and, and uh, wonders, the signs of the sky that are going to appear before that great and terrible day when Jesus, terrible in the sense of dreadful, when he returns uh, to the earth in Revelation chapter 19. So uh, that would give her a healthy foundation, and then she could kind of dig in, and there's all kinds of information. There's a book, uh, a commentary on, if she likes to read, there's a commentary on Revelation by uh, a man named John Walvoord, W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D, that is excellent. There's another one uh, by uh, uh, Dwight Pentecost. It's called uh, Things to Come. Um, so so there's, there is a lot of information out there for her, but suggest that she go through it uh, with me at calvarysa.com. Great question, Tanya. Keep sharing your faith. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've only got a couple minutes before the break. So um, um, I'll take one more question. But, um, you know, we, we make all of our resources here for, available for free. Um, we've been through pretty much the whole Bible. There's a few Old Testament books that I've been through that aren't online just because we only do one night a week on the Old Testament. But I've been through Revelation, I think, three times. And um, I think that's a really, really good way to do it. Uh, here's a really quick question I can go to. This is from Miriam. 
Um, she says, I came across Stephen Furtick on TV this weekend. Is he okay to listen to? Uh, Miriam, no, I don't think he is at all. He is uh, a megachurch pastor. He's one of these uh, cool kids who sort of grow up averse. Um, but um, uh, he's become a celebrity. Uh, and his messages are just empty, absolutely empty. So he's not somebody that I would... Um, recommend uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the program today, 340-9585 or 877-630-5757. I'm Pastor Ron. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. I was just talking to my producer uh, about, you know, our resources are free and that kind of thing. And we started talking, now we can talk a lot in two minutes. We start talking about, you know what I would like to do? One day, just one day, I keep thinking, one day the Lord's going to give us like a bazillion dollars. One day, wouldn't it be great if instead of doing a giving announcement as we do, and we do it without really asking or making people feel guilty, we, we just take 30 seconds, uh, we don't pass an offering, but wouldn't it be great if one day I could say, you know what, I want everybody to bring me your credit card bills, and we're just going to pay them off. Wouldn't that be great? It would be for me. Here is a question from Anderson. Anderson, I have a grandson named Anderson. How did you know you were called to be a pastor? Well, Anderson, for sure I knew. Um, There was no doubt in my mind. Um, I was only six months old in in the Lord. So I wasn't even sure exactly what a pastor did. I was watching pastors on TV, so I knew that they taught the Bible, and I always thought, well, I can't do that. But but I remember. Now, my story is very unique. Uh, I was stuck in freeway traffic, the 57 freeway in, uh, in, in Orange County, uh, coming home from work one day, uh, bumper-to-bumper traffic every day, and I was listening to uh, the radio, Christian radio, K-Wave, and uh, Raw Reese, who is now my friend, and it's a, a very popular program on this radio station. Raw Reese was teaching out of First Timothy, and he was at that part when he was talking about pastors, the qualifications for a pastor. And it was as though, now nothing strange happened, but it was as though Jesus was sitting in the passenger seat as I was driving. And he said to me, pay attention. This is what I've called you to do. And and Raul spent some time talking about what the role of a pastor was and the qualifications for being a pastor. And I knew that that was my calling. I just knew it. I called Paula and told her, Paula, I think I'm called to be a pastor. And she said, call your sister. My sister Christy had been saved for many, many, many years. Evidently, she told Paula that she she thought that Ronnie, that's what she calls me, uh, I think Ronnie's going to be a pastor. Now, this is before I was saved. So she said, call your sister. So I called Christy and said, Paul told me to call you. I said, Christy, I think I'm, I'm called to be a pastor. And she started rejoicing, and, you know, it's just one of those things. But I knew it, and I, 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 I absolutely knew it. Now, Anderson, you may get that call um, like Timothy did um, 
through prophecies made about you, words of knowledge or words of wisdom. You may be reading the Bible one day and God just speaks to your heart. But remember what the Bible says. Anyone who seeks the office of a pastor is desiring a good thing. It's a good and noble calling. It's not an easy one, but it's wonderful. Believe me, if you're called to be a pastor, it's not the devil who's calling you. He doesn't want God's Word taught. And I can promise you, Anderson, you don't want to miss out on it. So pursue it. Do it with all of your strength and all of your energy. Now, here's a little bit of counsel for you. If you have no hunger for the Word of God, you're not called to be a pastor. You've got to devour it. It has to become one with you. And by that I mean it, it's got to be the, 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 the ruling contributor to your life. You read something. The Spirit convicts you of something. You've got to repent and change it and then live it out. Remember, to be a pastor would be the most miserable thing in the world if you weren't practicing what you preached. And I know there's a lot of people that do it and they put on a good show, but I can promise you they are deeply miserable inside. But Anderson, I can promise you when you don't, uh, when you know you're called to be a pastor, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is if you miss out on that calling. It's a blessing beyond description. Good question. Let's go to Jimmy calling from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I'm calling you today because I know you're not going to be on the radio Thursday or Friday. But, um, no, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, let me interrupt. I am going to be live on Friday, just not Thursday. Oh, oh okay. So, I know you so that's that's okay. Okay. Yeah, on thir- Thursday, the date day edition, I just don't want to have any other date but Paula, and she's going to be at the retreat. So we're going to do a best of uh, broadcast. But on Friday, we will be live here in the studio. Oh, okay. Hey, um, have a... He calls himself an evangelist, but um, he now he reads the Bible. He just calls himself an evangelist. He doesn't read the Bible. <laughs> so I mean, I was you have to in order to be an evangelist, you have to know the scriptures or study it at least, right? Like a pastor. Yeah, if you were if you were called to be an evangelist uh, or a pastor, you can put either one. Then, then the Bible is the most indispensable part. I mean, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit wrote the Bible, so that's something you'd want to do. Um, uh, an evangelist, Jimmy, is somebody who just shares Jesus wherever they go. Um, some people get to do it with large crowds, people like Billy Graham and Greg Laurie and some others. Uh, but uh, believe me, if, uh, I would ask him, what makes you think, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not really devouring the Word, what makes you think you're called to be an evangelist? And and give him something to think about. Well, because he goes to witness to other people. But I wanna, I'm going to tell you that, that I, I, I'm not, he's a good friend of mine, all this. But I said, look, um, Johnny, I said, look, don't be bragging about what you do uh, at you you know, don't brag about what you put, what God has done, blessed you with, or something to help others. So, you know, the scripture says, so I think Matthew 6, but, correct? Yep. Uh, Jimmy, I, I think the greater thing, your phone is breaking up, unfortunately, Jimmy, but, but I think the, 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 the best counsel that you could give is is uh, if you're going to tell people about Jesus, uh, not only do you have to know about him, but you've got to tell them how they can know about him. And the only way they can know about him is in the Word. Um, if, if he is not digging into the Word, um, he may have the gift to share, but uh, he's forfeiting um, the abundant rewards of being an evangelist because he doesn't know... Uh, what are you talking about? I mean, how 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 long can you say once I was blind and now I see? Yeah. And you know, so sharing is great, but a, a man that's truly saved or a woman, a, a women can be evangelists as well. A man or woman that's truly saved is going to be somebody with an an absolute hunger for the Word of God. 
So, Jimmy, thank you. I hope that helps. And I will be here Friday, so uh, feel free to call again. Hope we get a better connection. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an, another anonymous question. Pastor Ron, I like my church, uh, and I like the people there, but feel like I'm starving for good teaching. What should I do? Um, anonymous, you know, there's a lot of churches, and we, and some of the bigger churches uh, in, in any community um, are what we call seeker-sensitive churches, where they're just teaching sort of Christian light stuff. Uh, and the most important thing, you don't go to church for friends, uh, although you will find friends at your church. Um, you don't go to a church because it's comfortable and, you, and you're comfortable there. You go to a church to be equipped for the work of ministry. And if you feel like you're starving for good teaching, you're not being equipped for the work of ministry. You're not being taught how to use your gifts of the Spirit or even how, how to identify the gifts of the Spirit God has given you. You're not being taught to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus daily, nor are you being taught what that means or how to do it. And uh, I love the fact that there's this hunger in your in your belly for the solid Word of God, but what you ought to do is go find a church where the Word is going to be taught. That's very, very important, Anonymous, where the Word is going to be taught. Don't settle for anything less than that ever again. So it's time to leave. Um, there are churches that identify as uh, churches for new believers. Um, well, we don't like to talk about sin. We want people to be comfortable. We want them to, to hear all the good things about Jesus. But but unless you're going to church that's teaching the whole counsel of God, verse by verse, um, then, then you're missing out on it. And anonymous, something you need to do is go find a place where you can be fed. It's very, very, very important. Let's take a call from Debbie from San Antonio. Debbie, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron, I enjoy listening to your program. And I have heard you say more than once that you didn't believe a practicing homosexual could be a Christian. But I've also gotten the impression that if somebody was, you know, having an extramarital affair or having sex outside of marriage, you didn't, I don't think you've ever said that couldn't happen. I just wondered, I mean, if they, they couldn't be a Christian in doing that, because I personally know some people. <laughs> um, just wondered why you make that statement. Uh, Debbie, let me, I want to be sure I'm, I'm clear here, because um, when you go to 1 Corinthians 6 or Galatians chapter 5, and it describes immoral lifestyles. And I'm not talking about people who just occasionally fall into sin or give in to temptation, and then they hate it, and they repent and ask God to forgive them. I mean, that's pretty normal for, for most of the Christian world. But people who practice these willful sins, and heterosexual sex uh, it, that, that is outside the, the, the boundaries of God, uh, that's any having sex with anybody you're not married to is in the same list. So is uh, people who lie or people who steal, um, people who are drunks. So if that kind of willful sin characterizes your life, Debbie, then um, you're doing things that a Christian wouldn't do. And that's what Paul's point is in both of those letters. Go ahead. Well, so are you saying that if it's something they continually do, I mean, that um, if they ever do it, they must not be saved, or they could be saved, but if they just continue in that lifestyle, then you really yeah, question their yeah, salvation? De- yeah. yeah, Debbie, I am, I'm, I'm talking about a continual willful uh, rejection of the Holy Spirit as it regards a particular sin or, or a multitude of sins, uh, somebody who continues to sin, Paul says, what then shall we continue sinning because of God's grace? No, God forbid, he said. So I'm not talking about somebody who's ever done it. Uh, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Right. But I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example in this particular case. We have had over the years many people come to our church, and we find out after talking to them, you know, they've been here a little while, they come forward and, and, and uh, either, you know, they say they're going to recommit their life to Christ. And we find out that they're living with somebody they're not married to. 
And, and, and we tell them, look, if you've really given your heart to Jesus, then you've got to fix this. You can't keep doing this. And their response to that um, is, is going to tell me pretty much all I need to know about where their heart is with the Lord. And there are people that struggle with it. Um, the, the man or the woman who is continually sinning, uh, and there are Christians who are, who are involved in a gay lifestyle, there are Christians who are involved in um, uh, willful, sinful relationships. Um, but if, if their heart isn't convicting them, if they're, if they're not sort of torn up inside because of it, um, if they're not being brought to a place where they understand they need to repent, it, or to repent, then there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit. And what I do is I'll take them to those two passages in 1 Corinthians 6, and in Galatians chapter 5, and I'll let them read it for themselves, and I will say, what does that say? And they always will say very clearly, well, people who live like me aren't going to heaven. And then I'll tell them, look, you can choose right now what kind of person you are. Are you a Jesus person, or are you a person whose life is defined by your sin? Jesus died to forgive you of your sin. Um, he'll give you the power to escape your sin, First Corinthians 10.13 says. So what are you going to do? And when they leave my office, Debbie, this is very important. I don't want them feeling like they're secure in their salvation if, in fact, they're living a lifestyle that God says is going to send them to an eternity in hell. And, and I'm not doubting their profession of faith. I'm just saying that if you're a Christian, these kinds of sins um, would not identify you as such. John, in First John, says... Um, the man who says he loves God but continues to sin is a liar and the truth isn't in him. I want people to deal with the lies of their heart. So I, again, I've had people convince me they're really believers and I'll say, well, okay, if you're really a believer, then you need to get out of this relationship. You need to get out of it now. And I've had them take, um, uh, in, in some cases, a couple of years. But every day of those times, they were in torment inside because the Holy Spirit was convicting them. We have people that come right. in, Debbie, who, who live uh, together uh, in their advanced years, and they do it because of um, um, benefits, or um, if they get married, the benefits are going to be cut. And, and I'll ask them, look, how much is Jesus worth to you? Are you going to sell him out for four or five hundred bucks a month? Well, he couldn't meet my bills if we didn't. Well, wait a minute. Do you really believe that Jesus could provide everything that you need? And so what we're trying to do is get people like you're describing. We're trying to get them to deal one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. Now, God knows their heart. I don't. But what I can do is identify for them very clearly in Scripture behavior that says I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian. And Debbie, in my experience, the best thing any of us can do with somebody who's living like an unbeliever is to treat them like an unbeliever. And that's not me judging them. I'm just saying I'm looking at the evidence, and your life doesn't have the evidence of any fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it has plenty of evidence that you're living a life faithful to the flesh. And I want them to leave convicted, and I want them to wrestle with Jesus as a result of those conversations. Does that make sense to you? Yes, and I've always I felt like I know that people can be saved and do those things, but to not be at peace about it, and eventually, yes, they need to reckon with the Lord. But I do appreciate your clarification, because um, I, I guess I was hearing you say that anybody that had ever been involved uh, in that kind of sexual sin couldn't be saved. And like I said, no. I have had know some people that uh, have done that and then yep. come out of it so yep well thank yep. you and, and and certainly that's what i meant so thank you debbie i appreciate the opportunity to clarify it. i hope you keep listening for a moment i'm going to tell a very quick story i don't have anybody else holding on the line right now but um i had a friend when i was in bible college this goes back uh, uh 27 years um, when I was in Bible college, I had a friend who kept uh, asking me to bring him um, um, hats and T-shirts from the Bible college. And he was wearing them everywhere. He says, yeah, it gives me a chance to witness. Well, um, one weekend home, I was talking to him because I brought him another hat. And he said, uh, I said, oh, thanks for the hat. And at that same time, there was a girl 
in the the, the, the business where I was visiting him. And uh, he introduced her to me. Uh, th- this is my girlfriend. And it became clear in the conversation that they lived together. And uh, so she left, and I said, Mike, here's what I want you to do for me. His name was Mike. I said, you know, I bring you all those hats, those T-shirts, where you can show people that you're a Christian. He said, yeah, I appreciate it. I said, well, I want you to give them back to me. And he said, why? I said, because you're living in a sinful relationship and I don't want people thinking that you're a Christian. And he goes, well, I am a Christian. And I said, well, how would I know you're a Christian? If you are continually engaging in this lifestyle, Mike, you've got to, if you're really a Christian, you've got to repent. You've got to get out of that relationship. I said, it's just impossible to, to live in that kind of sin and not have your heart torn apart by it if the Holy Spirit indeed lives in you. And his face got really serious, and he looked at me and said, Ron, I haven't had a moment's peace in the seven years we've been together. And so I asked him, what are you going to do about it? Well, I know what I have to do. And I left hardened because I, I, I thought, well, I think he really is a Christian. Uh, I saw him a couple of years later, and he was still living with her. And I reminded him what we talked about. About three years after that, I got a phone call from him, and he was almost in tears. He was so filled with joy. He said, Ron, we're married now. She's pregnant. We're forgiven. The Lord has really blessed us. And you see, he really struggled with it. And I think that's the point, Debbie. We, we need to really struggle with sin rather than just give in to it. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Here is maybe our last question of the day. Um, i got to make it big enough I can read it. It's from our email inbox from Kay. In the first verse of the Bible, it seems that God's creating the heavens and the earth could be, um, could be separate from the first day of creation, especially when the form of the earth seems to actually be done after day one. I've heard a prominent preacher say the creation of the heavens was before day one and could have taken a long time. How can we make sense of this or does it really matter? It matters a great deal. Um, there is no evidence, no inkling of, of uh, the heavens and the earth being created uh, before day one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That doesn't mean it was, he goes on to explain it, that this is day one. So it matters a great deal. Um, and, um, you know, we've got to stop trying to find a way to reconcile the age of the earth with millions or billions of years to, to, to satisfy um, what the scientists who say there is no God, what they've concluded. And, and when we, we get that gap, and there is a gap theory uh, between verse 1 and verse 2. Some say, well, you know, it was in chaos, and it became void, uh, so something happened. And most of the time, they'll, they'll attribute that to the fall of Satan, which makes no sense at all in the passage. But, uh, Kay, the Bible goes out of its way. If you read the first chapter of Genesis, it talks very clearly about old things happened, and there was mo- evening in the morning of the first day, evening and morning of the second day. And, and, and it's almost as the Holy Spirit saying these are literal 24-hour days and these are the things that happen. There is no problem with, with what scientists who don't know God don't want to consider God say. Um, if they want to believe the earth is billions or millions or billions of years old, um, then they're going to miss the point. But the truth of the matter is this is a young earth uh, while it's not an essential for salvation, it is an essential for our Bibles. And um, um, I might uh, ask you, Kay, to go to our website, calvarysa.com, um, since I just got into, I just finished the first chapter uh, last Wednesday night. Uh, you can go into uh, our, our website and all of our information is absolutely free. Let me tell you one other thing. I just My producer brought something in here Friday 
I was reading some scientists say that now there's evidence that the whole earth was covered by water. And we say, yeah, <laughs> that's what the Bible says. But he says, yeah, we've determined that three million years ago, the whole earth was covered by water. Well, he's right, except for the three million years. And the evidence, even for scientists who don't want to acknowledge it, the evidence for a literal six-day creation goes on and on. So um, uh, the creation of the heavens uh, was not before day one. Um, Just read it as it's written and make sense of it. Jesus affirmed the creation account in Genesis. If Jesus was lying to us, Kay, we don't have a Savior. We don't have a holy God who died for the sins of the world. So um, not separate from the first day of creation. Uh, And again, this is really, really important. So um, maybe it's not something we divide over, but, but, but in terms of your personal walk, tying the books of the Bible together with the Genesis account, Genesis being the foundation of all of the scriptures that we know, love, and trust, um, individually, to be fruitful in our walk with the Lord, this is something that we have to make sense of. So I hope that answers your question, Kay. Uh, could I ask everybody to pray for our ladies going to the women's retreat? Uh, they leave tomorrow uh, for the first day. Uh, we will be uh, on with a rebroadcast tomorrow and back on live on Friday on AM 630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. God bless you. See you on Friday live. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.